I always look for freedom, just whatever that looks like, however it's encompassed in life. Like I literally like to be able to fly and to soar. Hi, everyone. I'm Marquita Harris, the work and money editor for Essence. And welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for self-starters, entrepreneurs, and women who are about their business. On today's episode, I have Evita Robinson. Evita is the founder and mastermind behind Nomadness Travel Tribe. Nomadness is a social community that exists online for travelers of color. It's a continuously growing group of travelers and expats. Evita is also the creator of the Nomadness Project, a web series on YouTube, which was co-executive produced by <clears throat> Issa Rae, so receipts. I first heard about Evita's company around 2011 when Nomadness launched. 2011, it marked the beginning stages of the Black travel movement. So in case you need a little reminder, this was that period where, you know, every time you open Instagram... And you check your feed and you just see black folks living their best lives in Dubai, in Paris, all over the world. She was the, one of the main people at the forefront of that movement. She was also the reason why so many of us felt like we had access to the resources needed to travel. Her story is amazing. And this time in 2011, it was also a time when, thanks to social media... We witnessed international travel among Black millennials surge. Fast forward to a few years later, Evita created the first conference in the U.S. that targeted millennial travelers of color. As you'll soon learn, Evita is the definition of badass. She's trekked the world solo and has no intention of slowing down. This is the kind of woman that you just know at 80 years old, as you'll soon hear. This woman is going to have some amazing stories to tell her grandchildren. She's every bit the kind of person that has lived a full life and has not been defined by her title. Okay, enough for me. Let's dig into her story. Hey. You've done so much. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, did I miss anything? I know I missed some things. There's so much going on. Maybe the <laughs> TED Talk. I always tell people to go to the TED Talk because I start with my why and nothing that I've done, I think, encapsulates in six and a half minutes mm-hmm. more precisely why the black travel movement is so important than what was created with that TED Talk. And so, all yeah. those, everything I just said, all accurate? Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Got to make sure. Yeah. Check. No madness is growing. We're yes. almost 22,000 members worldwide now. And when you started around 2011, mm-hmm. like after a year, how many, about how many members did you have? I want to say remember? within a year, we had somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000. Wow. So yeah. So we've grown really, really fast. And this was at a time where like, there were no groups, no spinoffs, mm-hmm. like, you know, no madness was really the catalyst behind this movement. And then so many people started to come with their own ideas and their own spins to it and, you know, break offs. Yeah. And so it's been crazy to think about how one idea that I had one day just kind of like really put a dent in an entire industry. It's, I, it's crazy. I, I can't even like wrap my mind around like just, I don't know how far you've come and like yeah. from 2011 and just, I don't know, every time I open up my Instagram now that somebody is traveling somewhere yeah. and it's the, yeah. you know, those hashtags, but let's start at the beginning yeah. before all of this. Um, where are you from? I'm from Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay. Yeah. So congratulations if you know where that is. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Um, what was it like growing up in Poughkeepsie? Poughkeepsie was, oof. okay, so there was a transition, right? So when I was really young, I was born in Albany. Okay. But my mother moved, my mom and my dad split, and my mother moved um, when I was around two or three years old, and okay. we went to Poughkeepsie. And so she ended up linking with my stepfather, who was also my brother's father, and so it was like the fam- familial unit until about middle school. Okay. But at that time, I lived in the city of Poughkeepsie, and at that time, literally the block that we lived on was rated one of like the worst blocks that you could live on. We had a trap house, what we all know now familiar as a trap house across the street. And my stepfather was the head of the community watch. So there was this really interesting angst that I could even pick up on as a young kid in my neighborhood. And so I used to go stay with my grandmother in Long Island during the summers. And I remember one summer I came home living, like I left living in my old apartment and came home living on the other side of town in a completely new school district with a completely different address. Because over the summer stuff had gotten crazy between my dad and what they were trying to do to get the drug dealers out. And what was happening in the community as a whole. Because we were having marches. Like, we yeah. was, like, in there, you know? So, so you grew up with 
kind of like that fighting a fighting spirit really yeah. it sounds yeah. like it yeah definitely <laughs> um, definitely what were you like as a kid that sounds like you were probably outspoken I'm going to I was assume. so wise and like <laughs> ahead of my years um an old soul right okay. I was one of those kids that even if I couldn't articulate exactly what was going on I could sense yeah. what was going on around me and so I would navigate accordingly um I was very perceptive I was very responsible I'm the oldest grandchild and child wow so it's like I was super perceptive like okay what you say is your word you need to be back here if my stepfather was like I'll be back in 15 minutes like watch your brother you be like back. in 15 minutes I would be downstairs like on the porch like where were you (laughs) you know so that was that was me always expressive um but I was also a very curious child okay and I think that that's where a lot of the traveling comes from and Mm -hmm. how it manifests as an adult I used to do these things where I would have these like hypotheses and so I would have to create an experiment to see if what I thought was true okay. or false. Interesting. So one time I had this thought process, and it's interesting because I ended up freelancing in television before No Madness. I had this thought as a kid that the only thing you had to do to get on TV was get behind it. Well, I mean, well, I mean you did. there are a few more steps involved in that, right. but it's not it's I not was like, far-fetched. physically, I just got to get behind this get joint. It. And I'm in it. I'm in it. So we need to figure out if this is for real. And so I remember one day I busted one of our um, one of our television sets because what I was going to use it. You're standing physically behind it. No, I poured water down the back of it and was like, if the water shows in the front, then my hypothesis is correct. And okay, and this was when you were a kid. So this is TVs are a big, big deal. And I mean, it's not like I was going to say they're heavy. Like you got to have movers getting things in and out. They're heavy. It was crazy. I'm the kid who like would cut my bangs. Okay. So my mom would come home and like find hair and like my treasure chest and be like, Avita, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so you're you adventurous. Yo, from a young I was age. like crazy, but I always, as a child, I looked at everything almost like an equation. And what I mean by that is as a kid, it's like I wanted things and everybody said that you needed this thing called money to buy things mm-hmm. and everybody was getting money at this place called a job. Okay. So at like five, six years old, I'm like, I need a job. I, I need to go like, to work. I actually want to know what was your first job? It's I, My first job is hilarious. Uh-oh. My first job, I was a receptionist at a barbershop. Okay. Why at is 15 that hilarious? Because Uh-oh. this is the thing. It was so transformative. Right. Just sweeping hair and being any man listening to this understands the sacred space that a barbershop is and the stories that that you hear and being a developing young girl. And I was always tall and kind of developed at a young age to be around that type of male energy, Mm -hmm. but to also listen in. Like I studied men and I learned a lot about men. I was a tomboy, like always a tomboy. Like I was like, you know, playing in dirt and like running around collecting ants and stuff, you know? So to be in that space at a young age and to actually see and observe the way that men maneuver the world and women and Mm -hmm. all this other stuff, it was the most enlightening job that I could ever have, and I actually highly recommend it. Wow. Yeah. I'd never, I mean, I thought it was gonna be like, oh, like, I think I'm picturing obviously like a beauty shop and you're just in it but no you're just surrounded no. by by a lot of men and yeah. you're getting kind of like that unfiltered yep. nature yeah. and, and woo, I'm sure you heard so, some things it was like the best teacher that I ever could have had for men and those guys became like my brothers in a mm. lot of ways so it's like you know, being there and hearing all these stories and stuff like that. And then I'm like going into high school and then you start talking about like, you know, people are talking about virginity for the first time and all these things. And I would like go talk to them about some of this stuff and like counterbalance it with the education that I was getting at home. Cause I lived in a very liberal household, Got it. like things that are normally taboo in people's homes. Like we talked about everything. We talked about sex. We talked about masturbation. We talked about tattoos. We talked about everything because my mother worked in um, the intersection between um, uh, public health and the criminal justice system. Mm. And so her whole thing with my brother and I was, I never want my kids to become a statistic. So I didn't have to be threatened about all the things that could happen and go wrong if you didn't protect yourself because there were books about it all around my house. And even to this day, I'm a bibliophile. I read a ton. And I used to go through my mother's medical books at like six, seven years old and like 
mix that with very real conversations that I would have with both of my parents. And I just realized still to this day that there are conversations that I've had that people, you know, even older than me have never had with their parents. But this also kind of makes sense because like just with your platform from what I've seen, like you have very open, open and even, you know, uncomfortable conversations about travel and about identity. Um, But I am curious. What was the relationship like with travel at a young age? Like, when did you hop on an airplane for right. the first time? So um, it's interesting because my stepfather's family is from Jamaica. So before they, before my grandparents, we used to live on like a three-floor um, apartment building that my grandfather actually built. Okay. And so we were on the third floor. And when they moved over from Jamaica, my grandparents actually lived on the bottom floor. So I had direct access to them on a daily basis. When I went on my kick at five, six years old talking about I need to go to work, literally, like, I woke up one morning while everybody was getting dressed and, like, walked downstairs in a, in a, a, like, a little slip with my red patent leather shoes and was like, granddaddy, I need you to take me to work. And they played into it until I got on the passenger side of his red pickup truck and my mom was like, if you don't get your ass upstairs. Get your behind out of this car (laughs) and put some clothes on and take my shoes off. (laughs) Right, but after playing into it, you know, and like taking pictures of it for memories. But again, this is like the brain, you know, that I was in. And so we went to Jamaica once a year once they moved. When did that start? That started... Gosh, very young. I mean, I have baby pictures where, like, I was super young, maybe, like, four. Got it. Yeah. I know so many people who, um, especially in our community, but who just haven't, it might be around 20 or something. Yeah, the first time. The first time they get out, which is totally fine. But I think it's really dope that you were exposed at such a young, young age. And we went with family, and that stayed pretty consistent um, at least every one to two years until about middle school. Because what started to happen for me in middle school is, like, you know, you get to that age where, like, your friends become more important, Mm -hmm. and you want to go, like, hang out at the mall. And I was also becoming perceptive to the things that were going on in Jamaica mm-hmm. that I was too young to go to. And I'm like, yo, this is whack. And around, like, like, how old were you? This like, was middle what age? school. Or yeah. uh, what, um, what year, excuse me? Um, I don't know the exact Ish. year. Yeah. Um, but we're talking, like, maybe seventh, eighth grade. Okay. Yeah, for okay. me. Got it. And so being cognizant of all the cool stuff that's going on, some fests and stuff like that mm-hmm. in Montego Bay, but not being able to go to them, I was like, yo, I'm in this hot-ass house <laughs> with no AC because grandma don't believe in this. Yeah. Like, And I'm like, y'all are killing me down here. Oh, and so you. for a long time I didn't go back you know like once I got to the age to be able to assert myself and you know things like that I was like you know what I'm good and my parents split so there was no like yearly trip for us really going back at that point in time and um and then what was coupled with that though was on my biological father's side of the family we used to do the road trips down south Every year. Got it. So it's like we would all gather up, have like four or five car loads, link up in um, Long Island and wow. Hempstead, Long Island. And we would drive from Hempstead, Long Island to Camden, South Carolina wow. every like every. almost every summer and do like our family reunions. And that kind of ended around the same time, too, to be quite honest with okay. you. I think everybody just kind of grows up. We haven't had a family reunion in like forever That's to that capacity. I just love that you've got. So you, you know, technically you're traveling internationally. Yeah since a very young age where you're also getting your domestic travel in and you're also seeing things and being exposed to so much at a young age. Um, I want to know more about what, okay, so you, this was around junior high. Yeah, junior high, going into middle school. So, okay, middle school, high school, it sounds like there wasn't a lot of travel in your life. Okay, what about, did you attend college, right? I did, I went to Iona College in New Rochelle. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Um, liberal arts. Yeah. Okay. Masscom. Okay. All right. Now, yeah. now it's showing that I did have to like look on you <laughs> and get these details and make you a little yeah. uncomfortable. No, but, it's um, cool. Masscom, okay. and then I minored in fine art. Okay. Yeah. So you have those majors. What? It, it sounds like you've always been someone who's very like you're very curious. Yeah. And you, you kind of you identify with environments that aren't as structured. Yes. So what um what was it like just going into college and did your degree ultimately feed um, what you're doing now? Right. So, I mean, once we moved out of the city of Poughkeepsie and I started going to Arlington um, School District, I very, you know, swiftly became like token black chick because I'm highly involved. I'm very like, you know, opinionated and vocal. So it's like I was, you know, elected all these things and, you know, the head of like the diversity and all this other stuff, you know. And Mm -hmm. so 
that just magnified, I think, when I went to college. You know, I ended up going to a school where I knew going into it, I was going to be a big fish in a small pond, and I wanted it that way. Um, and I was an athlete, so I did track, um, ah. but I was a thrower. Okay. People don't know that. Wow. Yeah, I used to throw shot put. I actually hold, like, records for shot put. You do? Yeah, people don't know this. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and how are we, like, how is that feeding <laughs> what you're doing now, right, too? Right. I'm sure some discipline is in there. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, okay. but I did that. And um, But media has always been a part of what we want to do, whether it's, like, you know, now pitching a television series. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was in mass communications, but my focus was television and video production okay. so like when I started off doing no madness like I was editing and shooting everything and you know early day vloggers you know yep. when it was like really crappy audio and, and this, really uh, crappy video just trying to get some dope content out. and this again was around 2011 so yeah it was like so 2010 because I moved to I started no madness as a vlog before community in 2000 February 2010 mm -hmm. and that was while I was living in Japan because okay. I was I'm a three-time expat I okay, lived in back yeah. up I need to know these details yeah, I yeah. need to know how. How are you? So you started trial. Okay, I'm trying to think of some stats, some 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 numbers. Right. Um. Was it by the time you were 30, you lived in like 30 different no. countries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like but that. But what I by the time I was um 25. I had lived in, I want to say three different, okay. three different countries. I had traveled to that many countries, but I had lived in three different. So how did you do that? What, like, what, yeah. um, what happened from the time you were in college and studying at a liberal arts yeah. college to the, you traveling? And like, that's, that's yeah. huge. It I is. Think, I think at 24 I had, um, and I felt good about it, but I had traveled maybe, like I lived in London for a minute, but yeah. like I definitely didn't travel to that many places. Yeah. So like, especially on my my dime, on my budget. Right, at that right, age. right. Yeah. So I how did broke. you? How, <laughs> no, I was. I was. So broke. what did you do? How did you? So was it? Were you still in college when you started traveling again? It or? was my last semester. So my best friend in high school, this girl Brittany, she was doing a study and work abroad program through I think Boston University, and she was living in Paris. Mm. And so what I knew is I wanted to supplement my my television and video production degree was something in film because at that time I was like I don't know if I want to go the film route or this Got whatever um, and so I signed up with the New York Film Academy and instead of doing it in New York I was looking at some places and the three that stuck out to me were Paris uh, Florence Italy and Tokyo mm. and um, Brittany was like look come through and you don't have to pay for a place to live. Like, I'm living here. As long as you're cool sharing a bed and, like, everything else, wow. you can just come stay with me for free and, like, get the money for the program. And so, like, you can eat and do whatever you want to do while you're here. And we're straight. And literally, like, we were cooped up in this small Parisian <laughs> flat. And this you program know, was for what, like a like month. A, a like, how long? No, it was like six weeks. <gasps> oh, okay. Yeah, it was like oh, six okay. weeks. It was super intensive. And I was there with about 100 other people from around the world. And the way the program was set up, you took classes during the week. And then every weekend, you had to shoot a film mm. for every person in your group. So you'd be shooting like three or four films over the course of a weekend wow. and then editing it on your own and handing it back. So it was a lot of like you had to go out and do yep. kind of like location scout you had in to another write, country. You had to location scout. You had to shoot. You and had you, to edit. It, and like, you didn't speak. The, um, you didn't speak the no, language, I right? I did not speak French. Okay. Yeah. Wow. At all. So it was it was intense, but it was amazing, and I'm still friends with a number of those people today. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so we keep in contact, and you know, some are like actors, some are authors. Now, a lot of people are still in production all around the world. So they laid a really cool foundation, but that's really where the travel bug like lodged itself. And mm. I was like, yo, this is dope. Like the weekend I arrived in Paris, I was like, I'm going to Amsterdam. Because, you know, once you get into Western Europe, it's like train rides. And at yep. that point, I was still considered a youth. So I could get the URL pass for really, really cheap and just yeah. get on the train and go. And I was like, I'm going to go to Amsterdam by myself because I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. Yeah, and I don't I want this. none of these stories following me home. I love it. And I love how like, um, so this is around like 20. This was like 21. 21. Yeah. Um, and I'm relating this back to my experience because I did a study abroad program and I, I had so many stories in my head from family, yeah. from friends. Don't go off by, by yourself. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I just went to London. But I was supposed to travel a lot more. And yeah. I, it was hard to kind of get, like, it took forever for me to get my tribe. Yeah. Kind of, you know. Yeah. And by the time I got it, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm moving back. But because of that experience, because of everything that was in my head, 
going there, I didn't travel nearly as much as I wanted to. Yeah. And it was out of fear. And yeah. I regret that so much. Yeah. But um, I do love that you were just out the gate. You were like, nah, I'm here. I'm going everywhere. I'm yeah. here for six weeks. I'm going to Amsterdam. Like, what's, you know, yeah. what's next? I knew. It so, was like now or never. So that's when that's when the travel bug bit you yeah. pretty much. Um, after that experience, did you, what happened? Did you come back? To, you came I back came here? Back to, yo, first off, I went from Paris to Poughkeepsie. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Nobody should ever do that. And yeah. what was also happening, and people don't talk about this a lot, but I actually, my mother came to one of my speaking engagements recently, and I bought this up in front of her. There is a transition that happens, I think, particularly between mothers and daughters mm -hmm. when the daughter goes away to college and becomes like a grown entity of her own yeah. and then has to come home because it's no longer <sighs> parent and child. Yeah, It is two, two grown, grown women looking eye to eye, yeah. having real life conversations and the dynamic changes definitely it is really weird and like i was not prepared for that <laughs> yeah. but i went to battle you know and it was like look i want to get out of here as much as you want me out of here let's be clear on that mm -hmm. you know and it wasn't any love loss like i said the dynamics just changed yeah and so for me it was like i was back in poughkeepsie and my mom's house for maybe like three months and then I moved into this crappy apartment in the Bronx. But wow. I was like, but I you just got to get out of here. I was like, yeah. I have to get out of here. And that's when I started freelancing and television in the city. But I could never shut up about Paris yeah. and wanting to travel and going back out. And so and you moved back. Um, what year was it? Uh, 2000. And so now we're talking um, 2000, maybe 11. This is like 2010, okay. like the year before I, I like started. I like a timeline. No I'm always trying to yeah. just, you know, kind of mark some of those, those milestones. Yeah. Excuse me. It wasn't. It was 2009 because okay. I left the following year to move to Japan. So we're talking 2000, late 2008. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I'm doing this but uh, it was one Friday afternoon. One of the networks that I was working at called down um, half of our graphics department and my boss mm -hmm. to HR. And anybody who knows freelance yeah, Friday yeah, afternoons, it's like you get called down to HR. It's, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. It's done. It's a wrap. And so my freelance hours were coming up as over. And my boss wanted me to be staff. And I was kind of going back and forth, but I was like, you know what? You can always leave, like get in on staff, get whatever benefits you can for how long you want to stay, you yeah. know, some type of stability, do whatever you need to do. Well, they froze all of his decisions when they fired wow. him. So all of a sudden him getting fired sent off a chain else. reaction and I had to go. Wow. I was like, what part of the game is this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy. That had to rub you in like the wrong way because it's like, okay. I'm doing what I I'm, I'm making these, you know, quote unquote, adult decisions yeah. about stability. And Yo, you I was like, this is why I don't do this shit. This is why I just live my life. Because it was this creative, but it was a corporate culture. Mm. And I was reminded of that because it got real sticky and nasty. And it was the things I was observing. I was like, yo, like I'm yeah. getting the hell out of here now. So I ended up running into um, a friend of mine who graduated the year after me, and she had just gotten back from teaching a year in Japan. Okay. And she was like, look, if you want to travel, but you also need money, like consider teaching English. Mm -hmm. She's like, it was the longest and the shortest year of my life, but it was transformative. <laughs> it like was... think about going. And so I ended up applying for a bunch of freelancing gigs to get me through the year. But I also applied to teach in Japan. And it was January, the first week of January, 2009, I got the email saying I got the job wow. and that I had to be in Tokyo for training by the second week of March. Wow. So I had okay. like eight weeks with time to, I had a boyfriend, like I had a cat, <laughs> I had an apartment. Like, Did he know that you applied to the program? Yeah, was he, he supportive? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was supportive. Got but, it. um... But he was also fine. And it was like hard to leave. <laughs> like, so, you know what? That's real. I was That's like, real. Especially at that age. Oh. And, you know, you feel like, you, I don't know. He you're wasn't paying me no mind in college. Yeah, and I yeah. finally got him. Like, okay, and I was like, I'm, I'm damn, out. bro, I got to go. I'm out. I'm in. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Um, but okay. I was there for a year. I taught English and bartended in Niigata, Japan for a year. And what was the money like in that situation? Because I do like to talk to yeah. women about yeah. money and about the money the was um it was tight because so this is the thing i had to take out a loan from the company i was teaching with in order to do it because i learned i was going so late mm -hmm. some people had learned six or seven months prior okay. because of when they applied that they were going so they had time to like to prepare to save money all this stuff i did not got it i so, wasn't aware that's how it worked do yeah. you mind me if you don't mind do you mind saying how much you what kind of a loan you took out 
How much? I don't remember how much the loan was. I know that my bills on a monthly basis were somewhere around. No, I think I got paid two hundred thousand yen. Okay. Um, a month, and I don't remember. I know like my rent was maybe somewhere around like five fifty thousand, something like that. But it was it was the equivalent of maybe like I don't know twenty five hundred US okay. a month. Like okay. it was like you know. And then I had, but the thing is, where they got me was I had a car. That I had to pay for. So they would take money out. Mind you, and this people who are thinking about like working abroad, you need to look for the loopholes because mm-hmm. these like these corporations and companies that are out there, like they'll get you. They'll have like side deals cut mm-hmm. with your phone service provider, with your the rental car place, wow. with your apartment and upcharge you. But because you know no different and you're not from there, you, you end up getting caught it. in these. Yeah, yeah. In these patterns. So like my phone bills were through the roof. My rent after I, I lived by um, Niigata's uh, university, and so I became friends with some of the people at the university. And I'm looking at their like, like what's two that? floor like, apartments yeah. in Japan, and how they're paying less than me. And I was like, this wow, is crazy. That's crazy. So I had a very salty taste in my mouth, not so much for the experience, but for the company that mm-hmm. I was affiliated with. Um, and if I did it again, I would have did it differently, and I would have did a lot on my own. I think they do. Some companies do take advantage mm-hmm. of the fact that you don't know the language, you don't know where you're going, you're nervous, you're going through culture shock, and you miss your family. Yeah. So it's like we'll take care of everything for you, and that may not be in your best interest. And even just to tell someone that they have to uproot their lives in eight weeks. Yeah, it's like, like okay, I was like, uh, okay, okay, like this is crazy, but I want the life experience, yeah. and if I don't do it now, I don't know when I'm going to do it. So let me just go. So there were. I don't regret it. Like, Good. let me just okay. say that I don't regret it Got at it. all. I just there's smarter ways, particularly financially, to go about it that you just don't know until you're there and you're already stuck in contracts. So I just be you. mindful or talk to people who have done it before. Um, so I was out there for a year. Like I said, I bartended on the weekends. I did. Cl- I was hustling. Okay. I had okay. like four jobs while wow. I was out in Japan. I was teaching everybody English. You want to learn English? What was it like? <laughs> <laughs> but even just at a very basic level, what was it like? When you first stepped out of, you know, anxiety out of, out of the airport and yeah. into Japan, anxiety and- ridden. I say that I learned my neighborhood in Niigata one block at a time because yeah. I used to also have severe panic attacks okay. and anxiety. And I was still going through that on a really big level at that time. I made some ballsy moves for like the nerves that I've had, you know, going through them. But I literally remember having like a panic attack the first time that I walked around my neighborhood and in Niigata alone. and alone, I was right? alone. And then it's like, it's not confrontational there, but like people will be staring at you. And, and so it was very awkward. And yeah. Japan is very good at being Japanese. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very egalitarian. It's very homogenous in a lot of ways there. Like their government and the way that they are set up is like, this is to make Japanese people comfortable, mm-hmm. not you. So you have to kind You're of like outsider. understand that going into it. And it wasn't like I was in Tokyo in some like super progressive city that is comparable to New York. Like I was in Niigata. Yes, you are the biggest city on the West Coast and like right across the water from Seoul, South Korea. But like this is a completely different and very like suburban Japanese experience, Mm. which is very, 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 very different. And I think there were maybe three three of us that were teachers of color and the entire prefecture. Got it. Okay. So this experience in Japan, yeah, it's you know, it sounds like it took a while to get used to, yeah. and you had to really sift through a lot of BS. Yeah. Um, you were there for a year. A year. Okay. And then you came back from that trip, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you were also very, very inspired by Paris still. So I'm assuming that was probably, because that sounds like it was such a good, yeah. just pivotal trip in your life. It was. I'm assuming, like... Things got better in Japan by the time you left. And yeah, I started Nomadness as a vlog literally the last month that I was there. Okay. And also within the last month I was there, I did a trip to India with two girlfriends. Well, actually, they were friends. And I was kind of like the third wheel, but we all became friends okay. on the back end. Got it. Um, because I was like, yo, even with money being tight and me being on a teacher's salary out here and having to pay back this damn loan, <laughs> like I had more money to play with. So I was like, I can't be all the way over here because that was my first time in Asia on Mm -hmm. that side of the world was to move there, literally. 
And I was like, I don't want to leave without being able to explore some other parts. I don't know when I'm going to come back. And so it ended up being India that we went for Holy Festival of Colors. And wow. now I go to India almost every year. That's like, that's, yeah. that's it's on my list. I We're feel going next I'm, March. We're my... going next March. You should come with uh, us. Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. March 7th to the 14th. Okay. Nomandis has a trip out there for 2020. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. We go. I've done that trip with them almost six times. I'm going. Done. Yeah. All right. You heard it. <laughs> I'm it's, signing it's up. It's amazing. It's an enchanting <laughs> trip. And India is a place that we find even the most avid travelers do not like to go there on their own. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. It's intense. I remember too. freaking out the first time I went to India, too. Now it freaks me out that I don't get freaked out. Mm. I'm like, it's crazy how used to, used to these crazy elements that I am, you know? But it was a it was a hell of a transition after that. I came home to the Bronx at that point in time for a couple months and then I was out again. I okay. moved to Thailand for what was supposed to be three months, but I got stung by a mosquito uh, backpacking into Cambodia doing wait. a visa run. And this was whoa, 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 yeah. back up, back up, yeah. back up, wait. So you got stung by a mosquito. Yeah. And this is how, like, how deep into this trip were you? Like, how, so many, how I was long? two months. Two months. I was supposed to do three months because I got casted on a web series, like a YouTube show. That was my next show. question. How did you end up in Thailand? Yeah. Um, okay, so you got casted for a web show. Yeah. It was like a travel real world um, type of deal. Um, they never finished putting our season up, but it's called Jet Set Zero and it still lives. I I was just going to say, so, and you were the person that, I mean, not to make light of it, because I need to know more about yeah. that, but, like, you were the person where if they had, like, a teaser of the show where it's, like, you're, you know, you've got bitten by a mosquito, so people are wondering, is she going to live? It's, well, like, what's going even, on? Yes, if they would have released the rest <laughs> of the damn footage, because I saw the rest of the season. What did you get infected with? Dengue. Okay. What are the... Oh, I, Dengue's in the malaria family. Wow. But it's, like underneath malaria and so they call it the bone breaking disease because it does it feels like your bones are like weak and it feels like the worst sinus headache ever and I couldn't eat it eradicates your appetite and so even just trying to get soup and broth and things like that in it couldn't like it was not working which is another major problem in itself right dehydration and things like that so I went to two hospitals and it was finally the second hospital and because we ended up living in Chiang Mai Thailand which now is like a backpackers like digital haven like everybody's in Chiang Mai um, I, they did blood work and they were like, look, your platelets are fine, but your white blood cells are like chopped in half. Okay. And that's an indicator of dengue where if your platelets and your white blood cells are chopped in half, it shows that you have malaria. Okay. So they were the- like, you're on the tail end, but it's viral. Like you can't do anything. That's why to this day, like I hate mosquitoes. Was this the first time you had a, an experience at a hospital somewhere abroad? Because I, to me, it just feels like. That's kind of everybody's biggest fear when they travel, right? That they're going to get infected with something and, you know. Um, um, Japan, I had to get immunizations for India. So I had a doctor there. Um, But I mean, with any kind of sickness where you had to visit a doctor. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was. Wow. Um, And I'm trying to think if there's any other times. India, one time I had stepped on at the monkey temple. I had stepped on something that went through my foot. So I had to get a tetanus shot. Like they had to get a doctor to come to the hotel and like actually shoot me this up this is in like the... what <laughs> I'm kind of sitting here like okay you tell me these travel stories and everything is gravy and you're just out here living your best life but no, no it's you like, are, you, but like you're living your best life happens. but this is what it takes yeah. to live your best life when you gotta deal with these things in some yeah. of these places I mean yeah. if you're just traveling it's a different thing and it shouldn't like it shouldn't be off-putting to anybody these are like life experiences that mm-hmm. were actually they were amazing you know so did you and I'm always curious to know in terms, like, when you get injured or something like that happens abroad, the money factor. Yeah. Like, what's what's it like paying for the doctor in a different place? It's and I just, cheaper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can, like, I've heard that before, too. And especially at that age, it sounds like you were freelancing, so what? the insurance. Like, yeah. It might, it More than likely. First off, everybody should get travel health insurance on their trips. It's literally another, like, 20 bucks. Mm. And there's a number of companies from HTH, um, Allianz does it, um, STA Travel, like, there's yeah. so many. Got it. Just get it. You know, um, you never know when you're going to need it and you don't want to be in a situation where you need it and you don't have it. But depending on where you are and the conversion rate, like, honestly, it's so much cheaper. And the rest of the world is quite different when it comes mm-hmm. to medical. You, like, we're behind the curve. Yeah. You know, I had a situation where on a nomadness trip, one of my members had to get rushed to the ER for an allergic reaction. Okay. And so that she didn't have to worry about that while they're pumping her full of essentially Benadryl you know, in the ER for like six hours, I went to the nurse privately and was like, listen, how much is this going to cost? And she was like, oh, it's free. 
I was like, what? That she is, left. Yeah, that, that I mean, we here. were in the emergency room for about six hours. She left with multiple EpiPens wow. because she was still going to be but traveling still, after our trip. Which is very And expensive. she kept having a reaction, a mild one. The next day, she went back. They gave her more things, wanted to check in on her. She didn't pay a dime when we were in the UK. Wow. I was like, this, this like, is how it should be. This yo, is how it should be. Like, it's crazy. I've looked at, because we have medical tourism conversations in Nomadness, mm-hmm. like dental. Like, I have um, Invisalign now, but I was going to get veneers in Thailand. Like, yeah. I'm I've, keeping, actually, I've heard that as a trend where a lot of people, they'll go and have different, like, health services. Yeah, done. dental like, services are so expensive, trip. especially dental yeah. stuff. Like, it's cheaper for you to fly somewhere and get it done there in like five-star conditions than it is for you to go to your neighborhood doctor and get it done here or your dentist and get it done here. I'm literally presently trying to figure out if I even want to have a baby in this country. Yeah, Seriously, I'm like, I have a short list of countries that I think treat mothers better in aftercare. Um, The Netherlands, Canada, Colombia, South Africa are the top ones on my list right now. Have any of your people who've um, been a part of Nomadness, have they ever... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've chosen... Earth. They've yeah. they've moved out there. They or they lived out there then. Mm-hmm. Um, we even have like one of our members is a gynecologist out in Australia, and she was like, "Yo, if you ever think about coming to Sydney, like I'll be your gynecologist." Wow. And I was like, "This is like, <laughs> I, love <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> I love also like the mini, just the just all the side like spinoff conversations that like travel involves yeah. because it's not just going, um, you know, just choosing a place and just yeah. going like it's a, you've had it as it's been your life. Yeah. It's been your lifestyle. Yeah. You've dealt with all these things. Yeah. Um, so to kind of back it up, like you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you give Ted talks, you give amazing Ted talks, Thank which you. we're going to have to like pop in the show notes. Yeah. So please. people can listen. Um, what's been some of the challenges that you face just as an entrepreneur and as someone who's you, you kind of you work for yourself. Yeah, you're embossed. What yeah. are some of the most the biggest challenges that you're facing? Um, one of the biggest things is just like the whole team mm-hmm. situation and team building. Um, earlier last year, I did a complete gutting of my team, and my team was comprised of people that I really love and respect. A lot of friends, because the thing is, you got to understand, I didn't know I was starting a business when I started No Madness. Like I, I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur. Got it. I didn't know once I started seeing what people were asking for, whether it was trips or merchandise or whatever. That's what really led me into entrepreneurship, saying yes to the community. And so being a community based really business is quite interesting and you get attached in a certain way that other people do. If you're on the team that runs no madness, people are seeing you and identifying you as something more than just an average member. Mm -hmm. So there is this relationship that is built with the community and, um, and it's hard to take that from people, but you also have to remember that no madness is equal parts community and business. So there are times where I have to make business decisions that piss the community off or community decisions that may have to put them at the forefront for the moment that may alter something I do on the business end. They both coexist for me all the time, equal parts. Mm. And so that's a very interesting space to navigate because community equals people equals opinions equals emotions. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all of these things that have to be factored in. And so that's interesting, but getting um, a team that is built for your future, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And not for your past Mm. is very integral. And I had to make some really big and and sometimes points painful decisions early last year, almost exactly a year ago. um, I did just like a clean sweep, you know, and and again, I still have a lot of respect and compassion for everybody that's ever worked with my team. But I also know that the people that we have in place right now are like, this is what we needed, Mm -hmm. especially with what was coming. I think at a certain time, you don't just prove to yourself and to the public, but also to the universe that you're ready for the things that you're mm-hmm. asking for. Because yeah. if you don't have the team and the system set up, it's not going to come because you're not ready. You're yeah. going to suffocate and die underneath all of it. And that's what was the, the trajectory that we were kind of on until I was like, no, full stop. Mm-hmm. We have to break this, shatter this to rebuild it better. So can you be um, specific about some of the things that changed after you did a sweep with the team? Like, yeah. where, like what, what results did you see? Um, gosh, goodness gracious. Getting people that were like obsessed with travel, like black travel, 
people that were on the road. Like I talk about Marty so much. Um, Who's uh, Marty? Marty Lewis is she's our creative lead for <laughs> okay. our social media team, and it's crazy because I really met her and saw her work ethic at Audacity Fest, which we spearheaded last yep. year, and just to see the way that she was putting stuff together, like IG stories and graphics and just the maven. And she's always on the road. Like she lives between um, Oakland and Baltimore. Like she travels more than I do. Got it. And to see somebody who just is obsessed with black travel and wants to get our stories out, like our black history month, IG stories are lit. <laughs> I see lit. some, I see every I see day. Some. She's got yeah. a new story. Like I yeah. have the list, like she went off Yes, and I it's engaging. It. And I'm like, this is the type of person. So we leveled up a lot on content, mm -hmm. right? Also, a key position that was missing for me, because again, I'm like the artist type. So structure is kind of like, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> there was none of that. Yeah, and it. it's like, I needed an operations manager. Okay. I needed somebody that could really be like my partner that I could go to because there was a lot that I was holding on my own shoulders that was just like weighing me down and How I did, needed help. A big problem that I... I've encountered when speaking with people is sometimes you don't even know what the problem is. You're just yeah. you're just so used to all that weight being on yeah. you, and you're so used to just doing all these things all the time. And yeah. You think, okay, this is this is where I live. This is the space. Yeah. This is the, this anxiety nah. that I'm having. No. And that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. My anxiety. My mother used to tell me because my mother went through anxiety also. So part of it was hereditary. And she used to tell me when I was in college, she was like, one day you're gonna be able to actually see your anxiety as a mm. gift. And I used to think she was crazy because every time I had a panic attack, I literally thought I was dying. Like yeah. I was rushed to the hospital two, three times for my panic attacks. Wow. And so like it got once it got to that point, it's because it's an alarm clock. She's like, I said that to you because most people will keep stressing themselves out and mm -hmm. going, 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 going until they bypass anxiety and have a full like full ass nervous breakdown, yeah, yeah, you know, real. and she's like, your body gives you indicators and warnings on the way. Like, all right, you need to pay attention to yourself. You need to sit down. You need to slow down. Yeah. You're not being authentic with how you feel right now. That was a big one for me being this like, yes, person and not wanting to disappoint everybody. Again, mm. I didn't go into this knowing I was starting a business. It was all community. So I'm learning all of these things on the fly, Okay, you know, in real time. And and it's just, you know, what you need seven years in should look different than what you needed when you started. Absolutely. It should. That's a great And so great you're going to need different skill sets. You're going to need different people. And it's not that you don't care for those folks. It's not. It's literally business, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and so sounds, that's big. It also sounds like in this process, you learn to say no. Yeah. Which is a and huge help thing. me. It's a huge. Yeah. <laughs> help me. <laughs> That's the biggest a one. Big one. Yeah. Literally, no. I learned that from my anxiety. One of the biggest things, my mother bought me like the Midwest Center on Anxiety and Depression because mm -hmm. they usually come together. She bought me the whole like tape 16 week kit when I was in college to help me wow. with it because I didn't want to take drugs for it. Yeah. And so one of the tapes that they have is titled No is a Complete Sentence. <laughs> and it literally took me I mean, until I was in college to still, understand that. It's still taking people, like, we're yeah. still trying to understand that. Because we'll like, say no, but then we'll feel guilty or we'll try to, like, explain our no into why. It's like, no. Yeah. Sometimes no it's period. You know, that's it. You know what I'm saying? Done. And you don't owe anybody an explanation. So uh, how, has it, how has it been navigating, like, working as an entrepreneur with panic attacks like are you or anxiety attacks yeah. have they still like do they flare up often they still don't flare, no they don't how um, did you i mean i've been in manage? therapy for years and yeah. i talk very openly about self-care like dope. i'm unapologetic with that i go to a therapist twice a month yes and i've been in some type of therapy probably since middle school got it so i'm super introspective I'm like the crystal. Like I got my rose quartz on right look, now. I got my little. I got mine at my desk. Look, I be burning sage <laughs> if people's energy is funny. Yes. Like I be like mm, Palo it. Santo. Like open up the window, get this out of my house. Yes. Yes. Like I love it. I, love I am it. totally that that person. And so for me, um, also the physicality of it, because when you think about it, anxiety is energy that's mm -hmm. misplaced. It's your fight or flight syndrome. And um, and that has a purpose in life when it's activated on purpose, but when it's not and it's coming from like racing thoughts and what if because my anxiety was really anticipatory. Okay. I'm one of those people that's you like, oh, my God, it. all this stuff is coming it's up. Coming. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So it was very anticipatory and and the real world would never really like be as bad and dramatic as I had anticipated it would, got you know, it. and got myself riled up. 
And so it was like being physical. Like right now, I'm really into kickboxing. Okay. So there's like, there's got to be some type of expulsion physically Mm -hmm. um, in that regard, too, that really helps me with it as well. But I haven't, I don't, I get symptoms Mm -hmm. now. And I know enough to be like, okay, like it's stop to, this, flip this. Chill. You know, it's time to chill, sit down. Like I, I have my process, but um, but I haven't had a full blown attack in years. Okay, I also have good. a homeopath, so uh, okay. I have a homeopathic remedy as so well. So self care is a huge, huge. It's a, there's huge no way in hell you. that I could do what I do at the level that I do it and not take care of myself. Yeah. There's no way in hell, and I'm very, very big and unapologetic with that in every every way. Amen. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I want to know more about your day to day. Yeah. When you get up in the morning, what um, like as an entrepreneur, as a black woman, business owner, mm-hmm. what's your day like? And no day is the same. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's my day could literally be like having to run to the Newark airport. That's another reason why I live in Newark, because I live five <laughs> right minutes there. from the airport. <laughs> uh, so it's all strategy. OK, I'm like, I'm out of here, dude. <laughs> Out of here. Um, It could be anything from trying to catch a flight. My public speaking has blown up um, a lot. And that's had me see so many amazing places domestically that I never would have stepped foot in. Like where? Like Kansas City, Missouri. Like um, even Aspen, I think to a certain point, Banff, Canada is stunning. And we're actually doing a trip to Banff in December. Okay. Yeah. We're doing a trip in December. And it's on my my list. It's on my list. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. Um, even getting into like the guts of like Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, doing Audacity Fest in Oakland last year and now just getting back from Memphis because we're doing it in Memphis, September okay. 27th to the 29th of this year. Like just places I had never thought of because I'm not going to lie. Back in the day, I was that traveler that was like, oh, if it's not like international, it doesn't really count like that mm-hmm. bullshit. And I was just <laughs> like, but I have such a respect for the states because of my nomadness membership. I love going to meetups in different states that I would never pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And then I meet these amazing people there that are a part of Nomadness. And I'm like, yo, like, this place is dope and you guys are dope too. And how, that how means a lot. How important is community to you? Community it's building. It's yeah. everything. It's everything that it's it's my beginning and my end. You know what I'm saying? Like everything is wrapped around the community. The decisions that I make they're wrapped around the betterment of the community. You know, even if it like pisses a couple people off, like, is it better for everybody else? Then that's what we have to do. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. You know, and so, but I've always been like that. I used to throw house parties when I was in middle school and high school. I had a mom that would let me throw house parties. I'm like, And like, remember what I said though, I went to the like white affluent high school, but I lived on the cusp Mm -hmm. of also the inner city school. So I was the one party that you would get both sides to come through. I've literally been cultivating community from people from all walks of life who Mm -hmm. may not have interacted with each other since I was 15. Wow. And so when you look back, what is it? Uh, Steve Jobs says you can only connect the dots when looking back. You can't looking forward. I've literally been molded to be an entrepreneur because I used to make money off of those parties. <laughs> I, was, I used to make money off of those parties. Like, my so mom like, was the one that was like, you got to start charging for these. How much did you charge? I didn't charge anything. I would wrap it around my birthday so people would give me money for cards. Oh, And the first okay. time I did it, I bought in like just over $800 when I was 15. Look. My that's, mom that's saw ba- me When you're like, 15, Yo, that's bang. bang. Are you kidding me? That's bang. My mom was yeah. like, you got to charge next year. <laughs> it's fine. We'll be fine. Got Cops it. came every year. My mom would like be like, everybody shut up and like every like literally we would turn the lights down and turn the music down and we would all hear my mother and my godfather who lived next door and like one of my uncles literally talking the cops down and my mother would like open the door with her badge wow and these people would be like they always thought it was like some unruly teenager having a party while their parents were out (laughs) meanwhile there's like a hundred of us ducking down in this house (laughs) oh my gosh i love this i love this visual one last question for you we're gonna wrap up um the podcast is called Unbossed. Yeah. So I do like to ask all of my guests, mm-hmm. um, who's a woman in your life that you feel is unbossed that you're inspired by? Dead, mm. living, related, doesn't matter. Mm. I'm actually going to say my namesake, Evita Peron okay. from Argentina. Okay. Tell me about Evita Peron. She was like the Princess Diana of Argentina. She was the wife of Juan Peron, who was the president but she was more popular than her husband. 
Hmm. And she has a controversial history. Mm -hmm. She was like a radio actress, very, you know, pretty. And some people think that she, you know, slept her way to the top until she got herself in the bed of the presidency, which I don't know. And I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Use all your assets, this. Um, (laughs) No, but what she did was she grew up poor and she came from the labor class and the working class. And what she did is when she got into that power position, she's the one that created a lot of like the fair labor laws in Argentina. She was a woman of the people, Mm -hmm. no matter how big she got. And so you don't hear much about Juan Perón. But you hear about yeah, Evita Perón. Yeah. You hear about her story. And Madonna plays her in movies. And, right. Yeah. You know, but she's <laughs> also, if you ever, whether you understand what she's saying or not in her local language, if you ever just go on YouTube and find like a speech that was done by Evita Perón, it will send chills hmm. up your spine. She is one of the most powerful speakers that I think ever lived. Wow. And and it's just amazing. And it freaked me out because my parents are very big and I believe that there's power in a name. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And my parents said that they wanted to name their daughters after uh, powerful women outside of the United States. So I was named Evita and I have a younger sister. Um, not the same. We have the same father, different mothers. Her name is Serafina. And so that being a very conscious decision, I don't think they realized how much of her essence that I was actually going to take on. I don't think I Hmm. knew in my younger years how much of her essence that I was going to take on to be somebody of community and of the people. Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely see Evita Perone's essence and her power in me. Wow. And I love that. um, I love that the folk, it's like you're, you're, before you were even born, your yeah. kind of like your path was kind of laid out. Just yeah. the fact that you're named after someone, and it's deliberately in a person, a woman who's outside of the United States. Yeah, yeah. And here you are, and that's kind of like you're here. Yeah. But I know you're going somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you're going somewhere. Yeah. What next week and yeah. the week and after? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and you know what? I actually kind of lied. I think I got time for one more question. Mm-hmm. Um. How would you define embossed? What does it mean to be embossed to you? It, it reminds me of my favorite word. I say that the two things that I revere the most in life are love and freedom. Mm. And it reminds me of freedom. Listen. I always look for freedom. Just whatever that looks like, however it's encompassed mm-hmm. in life. Like I literally like to be able to fly and to soar. And that shows how I live my life. I think becoming an entrepreneur was um, inevitable in that way. And so for me, when I hear unbossed, it's like hearing like unchained, you know, like being able to curate your own life space and your own workspace. And that to me is freedom. Wow. Well, on that note, I don't think we can really end anywhere else. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming Thank all the you. way to Brooklyn yeah, on, this, on this day. Luckily, it's, it's kind of nice outside. Yeah. Um, thank you. And I also just want to say and want to ask, where can people learn more about the work you do? Yeah, you can follow us on social media at No Madness Tribe um, across the board. If you want to join No Madness, go to nomadnesstv.com and just click the icon that says Join Tribe. And if you're interested in learning more about Audacity Fest, which is the first festival in the country, actually, that we spearheaded last year for millennials of color, um, we're doing it in Memphis, uh, September 27th to 29th. And that website is just audacityfest.com. Well, on that note, thank Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk soon. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to Mahisha and I. If you have a burning question or two for myself or Mahisha, I can follow up with her for you. Um, just email me at unbossedessence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag Unboss Podcast. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Say nice things. Say constructive things, please. <laughs>